Hello everyone, this is Tim Dodd. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Thankful to give witness to tens of thousands, yes, and to the millions that believe it. And believes in I believe that God's gladly lived a packet until all around the world it's been circulated. Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast today. This is the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast where we report on the works of God all over the world as relates to the end time word. Well, greetings, friends, brothers and sisters. Brother Mark Ajo here with you for another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. And here we are in 2023, back once again doing the Lord's work as he leads us. And we're so glad you're here with us on this podcast. I am very excited about who our guest is today. Brother Anton Lahovich is a man that I've been in contact with for a number of years. And he's a very special man, a very gifted man, a translator par excellence. And he has been very much used of the Lord in the work of translation. He's one of those maybe what you would call the old style of translators who plowed the hard rows and paved the way for those who would follow. And uh, he's got quite a story to tell. You'll hear in the interview how he was raised in a trilingual environment and uh, has learned several languages since that time and how the Lord has gotten a hold of that gift. So we're privileged to have Brother Anton on the program today. And, of course, greetings to our missions director, Brother Tim Dodd. God bless you, Brother Tim. Good to be with you on the podcast today. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark, and welcome to everyone. It's good to be back with another season of missions podcasts, and we've been thinking over the last few weeks as we've been silent what would be the direction that we would take this year and this year, and uh, what would be some great subjects to cover. And of course, I'm sure that there will be things that will unfold in the coming year that will inspire us of what God is doing around the world. And we try to stay current, we try to be up to date, and uh, we'll bring you those things if we can, when we can. So welcome back for another season of the Believer's Faith Challenge Report podcast. We have an unusual or maybe unusual isn't the right word, an in-depth podcast for you today, and it'll probably spread into the next podcast as well. We have Brother Anton Lakovich, and I have trouble pronouncing his last name, but uh, we have him with us for an in-depth interview about translation. Bible Believers focuses on translating the message. We right now are sponsoring about 11 languages besides the other languages that are being uploaded to the Message Hub, which we sponsor uh, in general as far as running the Message Hub. And uh, our vision is, of course, to get the message into the hands of the bride in their own language, which I believe is a fulfillment of the vision that Brother Branham saw of the preview of the bride, and in the the end-time bride was dressed in the raiment of their own country. And we know that when we get on the other side that we're all dressed in white raiment. So it wasn't a literal uh, vision, 
but it was rather a symbolic vision in which God was showing his prophet that the bride will be clothed by his word and it will be unique to each and every country. And so we work hard to do a lot of translation, and we have today Brother Anton with us to talk about translation from its beginnings, as Brother Anton has been involved uh, many decades ago in the translation of the Russian language, and has worked with Brother Lonnie Jenkins and Brother Biskel and doing translation. And so uh, without any further introduction, let's go to Brother Anton and welcome him to the podcast. So we are delighted to have Brother Anton Lachkovich. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right, Brother Anton. Please straighten me out. And welcome to the podcast. God bless you. God bless you too, Brother Tim. It is also a great pleasure for me to participate in this podcast with you. Yes, uh, you both mispronounced and misspelled my last name. Its correct spelling in the Lithuanian language is L-I-A-C-H-O-V-I-C. However, in order to pronounce it correctly, it should be spelled in English as L-I-A-H-O-V-I-C-H. It is pronounced as Lachovich. My last name has the Belarusian origin because my father comes from Belarus, the neighboring country of Lithuania. My mother is originally from Lithuania, but her ancestry comes from Poland. I was born in Lithuania, and while I was growing up, I spoke Russian with my dad and mom, and Polish with my mom, grandma, and great-grandma. It was a broken Polish, a sort of Polish dialect in Lithuania, not the one spoken in most parts of Poland. However, when I visited Poland several times, I could understand pretty much everything spoken there. And while playing with, the, with other kids in the yard, as well as being at school, I learned the Lithuanian language. So I grew up being trilingual. Brother Anton, it was nice to see you last year at the Tennessee men's meetings and have a few moments together and talk about things, but... Uh... I'm sure happy to be with you here as you have an extensive history in uh, translation that I think will be a bit of a benefit to our listeners. Brother Anton, before we get into the background and the history of Russian translation, um, what are you doing these days? Are you still translating? Uh, where are you located? Are you st still in Lithuania? Uh, what's happening now and how are things going with you? Yes, Brother Tim, it was also a tremendous blessing for me to attend those men's meetings in Tennessee last year and to meet both you and many other precious brothers who are my good old friends and also to make new friends. It was a wonderful reunion after 15 or 16 years and your series of sermons about the infinite God and badger skins those men's meetings blessed and edified me immensely. Thank you so much once again. Well, now to answer your questions. Yes, I'm still involved in the translation work. And I still live with my parents in Lithuania. Let me give you a short update. After I returned to Lithuania from Ohio in February 2006, 
where I lived since July 2001, I continued translating and proofreading Brother Branham's sermons in Russian for over a year and a half. Then, after I returned from the Witness 2007 convention, hosted in July 2007 by Brother Ed Biskell at Cloverdale Bible Way, I found a job as a translator at a bank in Vilnius, the capital city of Lithuania, in the early November 2007, and I was working there full-time for eight years, until that bank became bankrupt and was nationalized. So, at the end of November 2015, I was dismissed from the bank and I had to look for another job. Of course, during those eight years, in my free time, I was involved in translation and proofreading of Brother Branham's sermons in Russian. It was then that I began working as a freelance translator from home, and I have been doing it until now. I collaborate with several translation agencies, which send me by email various translation projects. I mainly do written translations, and occasionally I do interpreting. Currently, I am finalizing my Russian translation of the book Generation, Remembering the Life of a Prophet, which was compiled by Angel Smith, Brother Branham's granddaughter. Also, I translated into Russian the book The Message Companion, compiled in Germany by Brother Markus Becker and his team, and we printed it in Germany in March 2017. In February last year, I finished my 20-year project of translating into Russian all six books, Supernatural, The Life of William Branham, written by Brother Owen Jorgensen. We printed these books in Moscow, Russia. Back in November 2012, I came across the five-part novel Solomon's Bride, written by Brother Mark Aho, and I have also been translating it into Russian little by little since then. So far I have translated book one, book two, and the final book with the explanations behind the veil, just in case you missed it. Presently, I continue translating Book 3 of Solomon's Bride, translating not only Brother Branham's sermons but also these other message-related books, gives me broader perspective on many things, enriches my vocabulary, and also edifies. As for my location, I live in my hometown called Trakai, spelled as T-R-A-K-A-I where I was born in 1979. It is a picturesque town surrounded by five lakes and it is located 20 miles away from Vilnius, the capital. There are over 20 islands of various sizes in these five lakes and the medieval castle stands on one of these islands. It used to be a fortress for protection against the German knights and crusaders but now it is a famous museum. By the way, last year my hometown of Trukai celebrated its 700th anniversary because it was established in 1322. And this year Vilnius, the capital city, will celebrate also its 700th anniversary. Trukai is known as the former capital 
and later Vilnius became the main capital. So I grew up in this multilingual and multicultural environment, and I was surrounded both by beautiful nature and ancient history. It was a sort of a cradle where some of my gifts and talents were being nurtured. You know, the story of every translator is different, like the story of every preacher is different, like the story of every believer is different, and uh, I'm sure yours is unique. I think that you didn't, uh, you weren't born into a uh, English-speaking home, uh, so when it comes to the Russian language, English for you is a second or third or fourth language. I don't know how many languages you know, and you learned it a little bit later in life. Why don't you share the story of how you came to be a translator from, or at least have the ability to translate from English to Russian. Yes, that's right. Every translator's and minister's story is different and unique, and mine is no exception. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a trilingual environment, while speaking Russian, Polish, and Lithuanian. I learned English later, and I will share how it happened. When my two younger sisters and I were kids, between 9 and 11 years old, our dad wanted us to learn English, so he subscribed us to an English course in our hometown. My sisters attended it for a while, but I refused to go there after a few lessons, and I said, I hate this English language. So instead of studying English, I preferred to study other things and to go fishing in my free time. However, when I was about 13 or 14, something opened up in me, some supernatural channel. Now, looking back, I can see that the Lord began preparing me for the future translation ministry. All of a sudden, I became so fond of this English language, which I hated a few years ago that I would spend nights with Russian-English dictionaries trying to memorize and learn English words and their Russian meanings. Soon after that, I went to another English teacher, and he helped me to master this language. At school I was a straight-A student, and I had good grades in all school subjects. I guess the Lord endowed me with good memory and these abilities, so that I would master the English language and some other languages for the future translation ministry which he was planning to put me into. Were you raised a Christian? Uh, what was your um, religious upbringing, Brother Anton? I grew up in the Catholic environment, but in the summer of 1994 I got acquainted with some Baptist believers who came from the USA to evangelize in Lithuania. That's how I received my first Bible. Some of those Americans stayed in Lithuania, and I attended their Bible studies for a year or so. It was also a great way to improve my English while communicating with them. When I was 16, in February 1995, the message was introduced to me in Lithuania. Those were unforgettably precious times. I would return home from school, quickly do my homework, and then would spend the rest of my free time 
reading the Bible and sermons of Brother Branham. Soon I received the revelation of the true water baptism and many other things became clear to me because of the message of the hour. I separated from those Baptist believers in a friendly way and I began attending the message church in Vilnius. Three months later, in June 1995, I was baptized in a lake near Vilnius in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Afterwards, I began collaborating with three other young Russian translators. Their names are Denis, Dmitri and Vitaly. We were translating Brother Brenham's sermons into Russian. I would imagine those beginning translation years were very, uh, perhaps slow, difficult. We we always find that we try to break a new translator in slowly or a new team of translators. And so I'm sure your experience was not much different, Brother Anton. As for the ability to translate from English into Russian, it took me hours, days and years of reading, studying and perseverance. It reminds me of this saying, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Of course, the translation gift which the Lord endowed me with did play a great part in my ability to translate. Yet I would not have attained much without hard work and perspiration. Moreover, that gift or calling in me didn't give me rest night and day. So I kept on learning English and was also studying Russian and Lithuanian on a deeper level. In other words, a translator should be content but never satisfied. A translator should always retain the inquisitive and curious mind in order not to rest on those things which he has already achieved. As the proverb goes, live and learn. Art is long, life is short. After I graduated from the high school in 1997, I felt led in my heart to study English on a deeper level, for the sake of the translation ministry. So I entered Vilnius University in September 1997, and I studied English philology, or linguistics, for four years. I graduated from the university in June 2001, and then in July 2001, I moved to Ohio, where I worked in the office at Believer's Christian Fellowship, together with Brother Lonnie Jenkins. Apart from translating various emails from English into Russian and vice versa, I continued proofreading the Russian translations of Brother Branham's sermons. Well, the rest is history. I can tell by your very detailed and uh, I would almost say methodical answers that uh, you're very um, careful with your words. I have some children that are a little bit more uh, able or flexible to learn different languages. For myself, I, I think I'm just stuck in the old English language, which itself is very difficult to learn uh, for those that didn't start with it in their birth. But uh, And so I always admire those like yourself who learn the English language and are able to master it. And uh, But perhaps there's, uh, do you translate other languages? Have you learned other languages as well? 
As for other languages, I also know some French and some German. I learned French at school together with English, and when I studied English linguistics at Vilnius University, I also studied French and German for two years. However, my two sisters now live in France, and they are fluent in French. They are married and have kids, so Uncle Anton must brush up his French in order to communicate with his nephews and nieces. In September 2016, I got inspiration to start learning Spanish, and in March 2017, I visited my cousin in Spain. I had a chance to improve my Spanish skills while speaking Spanish with her family. Finally, in October 2019, I signed up for Hebrew courses in the city of Vilnius. It was my old dream to learn the Hebrew language one day, so I took the bull by the horns and began attending those Hebrew lessons once a week. When the COVID pandemic broke out in 2020, our Hebrew lessons went online. To make the long story short, I finished two Hebrew courses, level one and level two. And after each course of 35 lessons, I successfully passed the online exams, which were sent to me from Israel. This year, I didn't continue these Hebrew lessons because I felt that I had learned enough to continue learning Hebrew on my own. So now I daily use the Duolingo app in my cell phone to study Hebrew and not to forget the words which I have learned during these three years. Now it is my dream to visit Israel one day and to hear the Hebrew language in its reality and beauty in the Holy Land. That really would be a wonderful thing, Brother uh, Anton, to visit the Holy Land. Israel, as we say. Um, I've never been there myself, and uh, it would be a great thing one day, if the Lord is willing, and uh, the timing is right. But, uh, but to know Hebrew and or Greek as a minister, um, that would be even more wonderful. As I said, I have children who seem to be able to pick up languages, but for myself, I'm very, very slow to do that. But I agree with you. Visiting Israel would be a wonderful thing. Nowadays, Brother Anton, we put, try to put teams of translators together when we tackle a new language and so that we can maximize the output of messages and hopefully within two years get 200 and about 240 messages done in any language by using this method. I'm not sure how it worked in the beginning of your day, and I think that... Uh, the people would be interested in hearing, you know, how it worked. I know you moved to Ohio at one point, but you lived in the era where Soviet Union was breaking down, where uh, Russia was just opening up, the political doors were opening, and we know that it is God himself that opens those doors. And so uh, we are interested to hear how that translation process worked in those days originally. How much were you brothers doing? How much was happening? Um, what were some of the obstacles? You know, these are all things that we'd like to hear about. 
When the message was introduced to me in February 1995, it was just five years after the Soviet Union collapsed and Lithuania became independent. My country was one of the 15 republics of the Soviet Union. We didn't have computers and internet yet, so I did my first Russian translations of Brother Branham's sermons on paper by writing down the translation with a pen. I guess it was that zeal and inspiration of a young Christian that gave me strength to both study at school, university, and to perform the translation of the message at the same time. Then around 1997, the Internet became available in Lithuania, and in December 1998 I received my first desktop computer. By the way, in March 1997, Brother Jenkins came to Lithuania for the first time, and we became friends. He invited me to visit him in Ohio in the summer of 1997, but I didn't get the USA visa that year, so I made my first trip to North America in July and August 1998. I visited not only Brother Lonnie in Ohio, but also Brother Biscoll in Canada and some believers in Arizona. In the year 2000, I visited the USA again, and some message believers gave me a laptop as a present. My fellow translators also had their computers, so since then our translation work was easier, because we didn't have to write our translations with a pen or use a typewriter. Besides the written translation, my three fellow translators, Denis, Dmitri, Vitali, and I, also did a lot of interpreting, as in those early days when the message was introduced to the former republics of the Soviet Union, we had a lot of conventions and meetings with the message ministers from Europe and overseas. So our role of interpreters was very instrumental and vital. The Lord blessed us with linguistic skills, and we used them for the Lord's glory and for edification of His Bride in these Russian-speaking regions. If you were helping people, Brother Anton, understand the trials and, and the uh, burden of the translator, how would you share with the people the things that a translator would go through, the different aspects of the hardship of it? I imagine it takes a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of mental energy, and... Uh, you know, the brain is the muscle in the body that takes the most energy uh, of all the muscles in the body. And I'm sure that you find that so when you're studying, you're translating, you're laboring in that. And maybe just share with the people um, how intense this is. Sometimes people might think it is easy, especially with the advent of artificial intelligence translations and that sort of thing. And there's certainly always... Uh, idioms and things, we call it within the message statements that Brother Branham makes that are hard to understand uh, for people of a foreign language. And uh, no doubt that you went through that, and it's much further down the road today in our understanding than it was in those days. But in those early days of translation, it was no doubt somewhat difficult. Why don't you just share with the people some of the things that you went through 
in order to translate this message into the Russian language. Yes, you're right, Brother Tim, that translators use their brain intensely and flex it as a linguistic muscle which takes lots of energy from the entire body. Thankfully, I realized it almost from the very start of my translation ministry, and it has been a continuous workout in the linguistic gym ever since. I want to briefly share how this anti-message gripped me. It was around the end of February 1995, I wish I had remembered the exact date, that a certain schoolboy, he was one year older than me, testified to me about the message of the hour. He gave me the Russian booklet called The Messenger to the Laodicean Church Age while we were at school. I went to the geography lesson, sat down in the far end of the classroom, hid behind the backs of my classmates, and spent the entire lesson reading that booklet. As I was reading it, all of a sudden I felt as if some scales went off my spiritual eyes and I got an incredible feeling in my heart that I have always known this truth about Brother Branham and the end-time message. Only some time later, after I read more sermons of the Prophet, that I understood that during that geography lesson, the Lord removed the spiritual amnesia from me, and I realized that I was an eagle and not a chicken. A few months later, a tremendous burden gripped me and gave me desire to do translation work related to the message of the hour. And almost 30 years down the road, this grip and burden does not leave me. I see it is my call and ministry. Translation can be compared to art of painting. An artist works with paints, while a translator also paints by using words and phrases. Just like paints have their different colors, and colors have their diverse hues, likewise words have their different meanings, and meanings have their hues of meaning and definition. Well, it happened to be so that I am both a painter and a translator, so I understand both processes quite well, and I can see a lot of parallels and comparisons between the art of painting and the art of translation. I do some painting as my hobby. I once read a statement about artwork which really struck me. I saved it in my computer, so now I want to quote it for you. When you buy something from an artist, you're buying more than an object. You're buying hundreds of hours of errors and experimentation. You're buying years of frustration and moments of pure joy. You're not buying just one thing. You're buying a piece of a heart, a piece of a soul, a small piece of someone else's life. That is a very good way to put it, and I have always been greatly respectful and moved by the sacrifices of Brother Branham in delivering this message to the Bride of Jesus Christ. And I hold him in very high esteem for that sacrifice upon this 
on the fa- upon the face of this earth. When I began reading Brother Branham's sermons, and especially his life story, later on the books of Brother Owen Jorgensen gave me a more detailed picture of the Prophet's life and ministry, I was awestruck when I saw the severe hardships and trials he had gone through to bring this precious end-time message to us. Indeed, I see a big piece of Brother Branham's soul and his life in the sermons he preached. However, little did I know what fiery trials I would also go through in my life as a translator in order to work with the message of the hour. The Lord was molding and fashioning me as the great potter. So, if a translator is sincere and fully dedicated, readers will also see a piece of his heart in his translation work. And I have also had lots of errors frustration and moments of pure joy before I learned to make the right translation. It is a really humbling experience to be the correct bridge of communication as a translator. So, in case of Brother Brennan's biography, written by Brother Owen Jorgensen, it took me almost as much time to translate it into Russian as it took Brother Owen to write it in English. As an artist translator, I just didn't want to produce a quick verbatim translation. I saw the incredible inspiration between the lines, so it took me about 20 years of hard work, dedication and fiery trials to make the right Russian translation of these books. It was an indescribably special feeling when I finally held in my hands those two printed Russian volumes with all six parts of Supernatural series. That's very interesting. However, I also think that uh, translating a, um, a text that is edited, uh, punctuated, um, proper grammar versus one such as the message where it's a spoken English and I imagine it's very broken up. Well, it is very broken up and and sometimes the terminology is hard to understand, is, is, a, is a very different experience. You mentioned, Brother Tim, about the idioms and statements of Brother Branham, which are hard to understand for the people of a foreign language. Yes, since English was not my native language, I had to learn those English idioms. Luckily, I became very interested in English idioms, and as a matter of fact, before I graduated from Vilnius University, I wrote a thesis for my BA degree on the subject of the stylistic value of English idioms and phrasal verbs. I just had a voracious appetite for British and American idioms. Also during that time, while I was still in Lithuania and then moved to Ohio in 2001, I received the translator's guide, a dictionary of American idioms, proverbs, sayings and other unconventional expressions used by William Marion Branham. It was compiled by Brother Ed and Sister Ruth Biskell, and I got the print version in 2002. I still have it at home in my library. While reading and translating Brother Branham's sermons, I would come across those unconventional expressions of Brother Branham, 
and I would send them by email to Sister Ruth Biskell so that she would add them to that dictionary if they were not there yet. It was very rewarding to work with Brother Ed and Sister Ruth on that dictionary of Brother Branham's unconventional expressions. Also, talking about idioms and unconventional expressions of Brother Branham, I'd like to mention that the Russian language is quite rich and flexible, which allows to translate some of those idioms. For example, when my three fellow translators and I were translating Brother Branham's series on Hebrews, 1957, we came across the pun with the words tail, T-A-L-E, and tail, T-A-I-L. Here's what Brother Brenham said. Now, over in Revelations, the 12th chapter, he gives a picture of the woman standing, the sun at her head and the moon under her feet, and the red dragon stood to devour the child as soon as it was born, and he took his tail and pulled a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Did you notice that? Now, that doesn't mean that Satan has a long tail that he hooked around people, but the tail that he told and pulled a third part of those stars. So, four of us translators were racking our brains, trying to figure out how to convey this pun with the tail and the tail into Russian. Finally, by the Lord's grace, I found a similar wordplay in the Russian language, which sounded quite witty as in Brother Branham's expression. I think we would be remiss if we didn't say that uh, Brother Ken Andes, who was for many years the editor and compiler at Voice of God Recordings, uh, he also was involved in the compiling and, and explanations in the idioms, and we sure appreciated his labors over the years working with Brother Ed and Sister Ruth. And that's something that can be done on written translation, but I would imagine, as I've preached many times through an interpreter, that uh, interpreting on the fly with audio interpretation is uh, maybe a little bit more, um, I won't say difficult, but maybe strenuous in finding words to say uh, in immediate response to somebody's statements. Although in written translation, the translator can somewhat control his time and energy, in verbal translation or interpreting, the interpreter has hardly any time to rest, unless he interprets together with another interpreter who can replace him. I learned a hard and valuable lesson at the Witness 2007 convention, when I was interpreting those services and a lot of private conversations for the Russian-speaking ministers I came with from Lithuania, Russia, and Ukraine. Someone told me once that one hour of interpreting can be equivalent to one hour of weight lifting and work out in a gym. In most cases, an interpreter can handle such strain for an hour or an hour and a half. In my case, at that convention, I was interpreting the services and conversations for three or four hours non-stop. It was a miracle. 
And the surprising part was that after that long interpreting, I was quite refreshed, not very tired. We as Christians know that it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that does that interpreting. Otherwise, I would physically collapse after an hour or so. After that convention, my pastor and I visited several other churches in the USA, and I didn't notice when I crossed that line while interpreting. The line when tiredness and exhaustion can be harmful. The bad part of it was that I noticed it only post-factum, that is, after it had already happened. So, when I returned home to Lithuania after that Witness 2007 convention and other travels and interpreting in the USA, I couldn't understand what was going on with my brain for over two weeks. It felt like I was out of this world, and my thoughts were kind of cloudy. Then it dawned on me that I had overworked and strained myself too much during that interpreting in Canada and USA. I shared this experience with my fellow translators and we decided to interpret in pairs, especially during long conversations or meetings, and replace each other just in time so that we would not be overstrained. I think that's very good advice. We certainly have experienced the same things, and uh, we have, of course, in our office, Brother Murphy Wong, who has done a lot of translating and interpreting for the Chinese people, has been in conventions and interpreted into Chinese and has related to us. It is a very exhausting experience. I agree that many people don't understand how strenuous translation work can be. I like what a certain linguist said about translation work. The translator's task is essentially a difficult and often a thankless one. He is severely criticized if he makes a mistake, but only faintly praised when he succeeds, for often it is assumed that anyone who knows two languages ought to be able to do as well as the translator who has labored to produce a text. These comments also remind me of a short poem which I heard when I was a student at university. Many critics, no defenders. Translators have but two regrets. When we hit, no one remembers. When we miss, no one forgets. Well, frankly speaking, I have in my translation luggage some stories when I mistranslated something from the pulpit. And believers still remember that moment when I missed and failed to hit the bull's eye in my translation. Some of those mistranslations were quite funny for the listeners and quite embarrassing for me. Also, while being a student at Vilnius University, I came across an expression which greatly impressed me and helped me as a translator to study the English language deeper than before. It was the proverb, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It expresses the idea that a small amount of knowledge can mislead people into thinking that they are more expert than they really are, which can lead to mistakes being made. This proverb comes from a poem of the British writer and translator Alexander Pope 
in his essay dated 1709. A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep, or taste not the Pyarian spring. Their shallow draughts intoxicate the brain, and drinking largely sobers us again. Currently there are 681 translations in Russian as of the date of this recording, and they're still climbing as brothers are laboring to increase those numbers. We're very happy to um, get uh, the help of uh, artificial intelligence in the translation work. And what I mean by that is that uh, we use it now in some languages to uh, produce an, an initial translation that then is run through the human translator, the brother or sister that is translating, in order to uh, approve and or change the translation to bring it in line with what is correct. Artificial intelligence is not, that is to say, computer-generated translations are not 100% accurate. And certainly when you come to the message of the hour and the language that Brother Branham used, it needs a lot of tweaking, as we might say. But I think that it's been a help to translators. I wonder, Brother Anton, if you have any experience in that that you could share with us. Yes, Brother Tim, I do have some experience with artificial intelligence translation. I think all of us have used Google Translator in the past, and back then it was making a lot of mistakes. However, now I am quite surprised to see how Google Translate has improved its accuracy over the past several years. So, as a freelance translator cooperating with some translation agencies, <clears throat> I use Google Translate and also DeepL, spelled as D-E-E-P-L, dictionary quite often. In addition to these artificial intelligence tools, I also use the CAT computer-aided tool called SDL Trados, spelled as T-R-A-D-O-S. I was first introduced to SDL Trados 2007 version when I was working as a translator in that Lithuanian bank. My employees purchased that translation program for me and my fellow translator. Later on, when I became a freelance translator, I installed the 2015 and 2021 versions of SDL Trados in my laptop. If you, Brother Tim, or translators in your team are not familiar with SDL Trados program, I can briefly explain how it works. It has a translator-friendly interface where the screen is divided in half. After you upload a file into Trados, it shows the source language text in the left column, and in the right column you will need to insert the translation, the target language text. SDL Trados divides the text into segments by sentences, so it is very convenient to translate them. Moreover, this program allows to connect Google Translate, Therefore, the translation process becomes even more pleasant, especially when texts are not too complicated. 
In such cases, all I have to do is just minor tweaking, either to replace a few words or change the word order. As I finalize each translated segment and press Save button, Trado's program creates the memory database. So, let's say when in the future I will need to translate a similar document, Trado's program will retrieve from that memory database those segments which have a 100% match or a fuzzy match of 50% or 80%. When the match is fuzzy, that is partial, all you have to do is just replace a few words. I used SDL Trado's program while translating the book The Message Companion and now I'm using it while translating Solomon's Bride series. I'm sure this program will be a tremendous help in translation of Brother Branham's sermons as well. I wish we translators had these sorts of translation tools 25 or 30 years ago. Here at Bible Believers, we view translation as the fulfillment or part of the fulfillment of the vision that Brother Branham had of the preview of the bride as every every nation was represented in the end-time bride as being clothed in the garment of their own nation. And we know that the bride is clothed by the Word of God, and if that be so, then in the vision it must have represented that they had the Word in their own language, and that the translators, therefore, are an integral part of clothing the bride of Jesus Christ and get her ready getting her ready for the marriage supper. I think that struck you when I mentioned it at the men's meetings last year, Brother Anton, and why don't you comment on that now that you've had time to think about that. That is true, Brother Tim, that your comment on how translators' work is represented in clothing the bride of Jesus Christ really struck me when you mentioned it at the men's meetings last year. I was pondering about it in Tennessee and later at home after that trip. It helped me to understand quite a few things which I couldn't explain before. For example, why I had so many fiery trials. Well, now I see better that the Lord had to mold me and purify me by that holy fire so that my translation would be correct, first of all in my soul and spirit before I convey it in written or verbal form. So, I'd like to encourage my fellow translators, both brothers and sisters, who are also going through various fiery trials and can't understand why. Take courage, keep pressing the battle, don't give up and don't give in. The Lord is purifying you by His holy fire, because he trusts you enough so that after this purging you would be able to perform the correct translation of this end-time message, and that right translation would clothe his bride in the word garment in that particular language. It is a very humbling experience indeed when I think that the Lord entrusted me with such an incredible and responsible task to be a translator for the message of the hour. 
And as the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Amen, Brother Anton. We, we know that there's many different types of labors in the body of Jesus Christ. You know, even the Bible speaks about the fivefold ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, that the purpose of the fivefold ministry, in verse 16 it says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And Romans chapter 12 talks about how that we all have gifts differing one from another. So every part of the body of Jesus Christ, whether it be translators, whether it be other parts of the body of Jesus Christ, all have a labor, all have a burden, all have a uh, purpose in the body of Jesus Christ. God equipped you with the tools that you need to carry out the part of the body of Jesus Christ that you are. And we so appreciate the labors of the translators. And I will say, we're going to stop there uh, this week, and that concludes the first part of the interview. Uh, in the second part, we're going to talk about in Brother Lonnie Jenkins, amongst other things, and Brother Anton worked with Brother Lonnie Jenkins and has a few stories to share, and so I know that you'll be interested to hear those. It certainly has been interesting thus far, Brother Mark. Well, there's more to this interview, and... We're going to stop right there, but, you know, I am just fascinated with what I'm hearing here. As I listen to Brother Anton, I feel like I'm just, I'm being drawn in. I'm catching the spirit of the man, even in the way he talks, the way he, you know, the the pace that he talks, the detail that's in his description of things. I feel like I'm I'm just getting the spirit of the type of man that the Lord would call to do this work of translation and it is such a work it's such a labor and it, it must be a burden because a translator works by themselves so much of the time they're in their office or wherever they do their recording and they're they're laboring without a lot of people you know standing around cheering but under that burden they're just thinking of that person out there that precious soul that is going to someday read this that they are translating. And that person may never know, that person that gets that book and they're just rejoicing in the truths and have no idea of the labor, the intense concentration and, and the labor that someone put into making that avail book available to them in their language. So God bless Brother Anton and all the translators like him. And Brother Tim, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of this interview. Amen. I agree. And, uh, I think everyone will be interested to hear the part that's coming up. So until next week, we trust that you'll just uh, stay with us and look forward to part two. God bless you. And we trust that this week will be a blessed week for you. Shalom. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Remember, friends, the bridegroom will not come until the bride has made herself ready. 
She must be both called and fully dressed by the Word of God. This is the Believer's Faith Challenge Report podcast. You can sign up for our email newsletter at BibleWay.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page where it says Newsletter. Fill in your name and email address and click Sign Up. In this email report, you will receive reports of the works of God in China, in Africa, in South America, in India, Europe, all over the world. We also publish a full-color paper newsletter two times a year, complete with photographs, reports, and testimonies from all over the world. The newsletter is free. Just request it, and we would be happy to mail a copy to you. You can contact us by email at info at bible-believers.org. That's info at bible-believers.org. Or you can write to us at Bible Believers, P.O. Box 128, Blaine, Washington, 98231. That's Bible Believers, P.O. Box 128, Blaine, Washington, 98231. This is Mark Aho. Thank you for being with us today. And be sure to join us for the next Believers Faith Challenge Report podcast. Thank you.